All right. Well, the message for today is called Testifying Trust, and it comes from Daniel 6, 18 through 28. If you recall, Daniel has been thrown into a den, a den of lions. Daniel has been very quiet all the way through the chapter to this point. He just seemed to do what God called him to do. He excelled in the office that he was placed in. It caused jealousy. It caused frustration. He had enemies that came against him to try to design a way to trap him. And they say, well, trap him by creating a law that conflicts with the law of his God. And that's what they did. No one can pray to anyone but Darius for 30 days. And Daniel does what he always does. He goes into his house, opens up the shutters, three times a day, prays to his God, and they catch him red-handed. He wasn't trying to hide it. He just said, I'm serving the Lord. And so they catch him. They bring him to Darius. Darius is unable to change the law. And so Daniel is going to be thrown into a lion's den, and he is. And if you recall, the last statement of Darius is, your God whom you serve, he will save you. And now we're going to find out if that's happened or not. So going to Daniel chapter 6, beginning at the 18th verse. Again, Mom, we found the Bible. It's still in your classroom. So I'm going to read off the screen. (laughs) But just so that the translations match. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him, and also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up and out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury, whatever was found on him. Because he believed in God. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Then Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Amen, and may God bless the reading of his word. We are going to look at some testifying trust. Trust in God that testifies to the lost. We could sure use that today. And so as we walk through this, I just want you to bear in mind that are you living in such a way that your faith, your trust in God Almighty, is a witness to those around you? Because without much of a verbal testimony, Daniel is going to lead Darius to God. And that influence is going to bring many others to God. It's, it's pretty remarkable. So, 
We begin with a hope realized, then we have some nemeses neutralized, God glorified, and the loyal lionized. So let's jump in. What do we see first? Hope realized. The last thing we heard from Darius is, Daniel, the God whom you serve, he will he will save you. And we don't know if this is a prayer to his God. We don't know if this is a statement of fact. What we do know is in the moment of panic, the only one who's got the power to save Daniel is someone above the law of the Persians and the Medes. And we remembered from last time that there is a day when you will have to choose, you have to choose whom will you serve? Is it better to serve God or man? Very rarely do the laws of man conflict with the laws of God. Very rarely are you obligated to violate your conscience and serve God, but it does happen. And it has happened throughout the world. It's happening today. It may come to us. It may not. But when that day comes, will you serve God? And what we see here is a test. It's a test between whether the gods and the laws of the Medes and the Persians will rule supreme over the laws of God Almighty. And we know, we just read it, that God comes through. The, there is a request expressed, and in that request, Darius throws out his hope. He is advocating against the law he signed. Isn't that kind of strange? He was tricked into signing this law, but because of the way that government is set up, once that has been put into effect, he no longer has authority over that law. It is the law of the Medes and the Persians. And so he actually got all his lawyers together and tried to find a way, and they couldn't do it. They only had till nightfall. And it appears that there was a time frame that they threw him in at night, but they would take the corpse out maybe the next day. And so he is up all night. And what do we have? We have distress, unrest, and dismay. When you are hoping against all odds, do you ever get distressed? He could not sleep. He didn't want any entertainment. He said, no music. All of the people that are employed to make him feel better, he just pushes aside. He doesn't eat. He is up all night long. You know, it's an activity that we see in the Bible. You know, Jesus, before he chose the 12, he was up all night long praying. What do we associate fasting with? Oftentimes we associate fasting with prayer. I don't know if Darius was praying to Daniel's God all night long, but the activities aren't unlike those of someone who is desperately praying or desperately grieving. Maybe I think that he's on, he's on the edge of that knife between... Hope, could God do it? And just sorrow that his maybe best friend, the most trusted guy that he had, is, is no longer because of his foolish move. But he is early in the morning. As soon as the glimmer of dawn is shining through, he rushes to the den. It's probably the very earliest moment he legally could have checked on Daniel. And he calls down, and it says in a lamenting voice. It's a sorrowful, sorrowful plea. Daniel, has your God whom you served, right? You can feel the tremor in the voice. Yet, the fact that he is asking shows that he still holds to hope, right? At the darkest hour, he is held to hope. He is going to follow through and ask. And he's hanging by a thread, that hope. Servant of the living God, has your God been able to deliver you? He knows of Daniel's God. He knows of Daniel's faithfulness to his God. He does not know the power of Daniel's God. But there's a surprising salvation. As he is 
waiting for the cry, hoping, you can just imagine this very pregnant pause, and then we hear the words that were not spoken to Belshazzar. Remember? Belshazzar, keep your gifts for yourself. No greeting. But Daniel says to Darius, O king, live forever. I think that those are words that Darius remembered all of his life. His friend is alive. And not only is he alive, his first words are words of encouragement. Those that actually were responsible for his destruction. Darius is a party to this. He signed the law. And Daniel could have been bitter. He could have been angry. But no, he encourages Darius. And then he gives us a great testimony. God sent his angel. God sent his angel to shut the mouths of the lions. And I'm not hurt. I didn't even get gnawed on a little bit, you know? <laughs> they didn't think I was a yarn ball and, you know, knocked me around. They, so, we have an elated explanation. Darius is overjoyed. His hope and prayer in the power of Daniel's God is vindicated. And he... We, we have to read this verse. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken out uninjured, for he trusted in his God. So the narrator tells us the truth here. He is uninjured. Why? Because he trusted in his God. It's very similar to the, the fiery furnace. Remember, they pulled the guys out, and they didn't even have a smell of smoke. And any of you that have been around smoke, right, it gets all over you. It gets on you in a hurry, and there's no way to get it off without a good shower. And so Daniel comes out, and he said he's not hurt, but we look and they inspect, and he's got no injuries. But the narrator gives us the reason. It's not because he was good. It's because he believed in his God. And so there we are. The hope is realized. What does it mean for us today? In our darkest hour, when things seem absolutely the worst, every great novel, every great book of fiction that you've read always brings you to that point, that absolute moment of despair where you are ready to give up. But always the hero, what, stirs us to stand, stirs us to stay focused, stay faithful, and God comes through. The good guys win, right? Well, in this story, it's no different. God comes through in the darkest hour. Do we continue to pour out our hope on God in the darkest hour? Or do we give in to despair? Do we follow the words that James gives us? You have not because you ask not. I'll tell you, the deepest times I've prayed are at the darkest times. You know? I'll, I'll get very uh, philosophical in the good times. Say, well, the Lord knew my heart. I, I don't have to keep going, right? But when it's really, really crucial, what do we do? We pray. We pray fervently. We pray desperately. And I believe that's what we saw Darius doing, that he was fasting. He didn't want any, any entertainment. He didn't go home and watch you know, his favorite comedy or have someone do a show. No, he locked himself down, fasted, and I believe he was crying out that God would do something in despair. Jesus says, seek, ask, and knock, right? And we know that the language there is in the present, which means seek, keep seeking, ask, keep asking, knock, and keep knocking, and the door will be open to you. But when, Jesus? In God's time. That's when. But we don't give in. What happens to us while our hopeful prayers are unanswered? Do we give in to distress, unrest, and dismay? I hope not. You know, see, we know more than Darius. Darius doesn't have the New Testament. Darius is pretty much a pagan who knows of a God. He's not really converted here. And he is doing the best he can with probably a whole lot of ignorance. But when we are up against the wall, 
we should have that blessed assurance, right? Jesus is mine. Philippians 4, it tells us, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In the darkest times, do you have the peace that transcends all understanding? If you don't, pray more. Give it to God. He doesn't spare us from anxiety. He doesn't say, I'll take your anxiety away. He says, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He gives us that anxiety to move us into relationship. Jesus had great anxiety, so much so that it broke out in sweat of blood, right? If Jesus had anxiety, we will have anxiety. But what did Jesus do? He prayed it. And he finally got to a point where he could say, not my will, but thy will be done. If this cup will not pass for me, yet though I drink it, right? This is a cup of wrath. Do you ever meditate on the day when our hope will be realized, when we'll open our eyes and see the, the hope that we have been waiting for? And a lot of the hope that we look for is temporal, right? I, I hope I get a promotion. I hope I get a job. I hope my child turns back to faith, right? That one's not temporal. <laughs> but the ultimate hope that drives us is, despite the fact that in the darkest times, sometimes we don't see a positive outcome, is that our story ends with a new heaven and a new earth. And so we know that we're going to have victory. Do you trust in the power of God? I think that it's worth, worth taking this to a, a different plane here. One of the figures that the Bible describes the devil as is a lion. Daniel was thrown to the lion's den, right? And that lion was prowling, seeking whom he might devour. But God sent his angel, and the angel shut the mouths of the lion. Who is this angel? Maybe it's, just, maybe it's Michael. Maybe it's just one of the heavenly hosts. I have a feeling it's the same angel that came to the aid of Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These guys that had three joined by a fourth in the company of the flames, right? What a great and glorious day when the Holy Spirit fire is encompassing you. You know, that fourth man, that one that Nebuchadnezzar said is like the son of God, I think appeared to Daniel that night and shut the mouths of the lions. And we know that in the New Testament era, the devil is like a lion coming to devour us. But if we resist him, stand firm in the faith, he will flee from you. Why? Because we know that Jesus has already shut the mouth of the lion and he has no victory. He then stated, when called upon by Darius, Daniel, did your God save you? O oh, king, live forever. I was innocent before my God and before you, O oh, king. I didn't betray you, Darius, by praying to my God because I cannot put you above my God. In fact, I bet you he was interceding for Darius when he was arrested. And so he was innocent of his blood. He was innocent of any guilt. But then we have that great statement at the end that tells us he was totally saved because he trusted in his God. This is the gospel of Daniel. The gospel of Daniel is not a different gospel than the rest of the Bible. Abraham tells us he trusted in God. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is Genesis 15.6, Romans 4.3. Paul tells us just as Abraham believed God and God credited that belief as righteousness, so today... We receive the righteousness of Christ. Why? By works? By being good? No, by 
believing in Jesus. The gospel is the same throughout the Bible. Do you believe in God? If you believe in God, he will credit that belief as righteousness. Now, how does he do that? He's got to have an account to credit, right? This financial metaphor, everyone's favorite, math, you know, in accounting. <laughs> because there is one who came, who lived, who gave a perfect life. An eternal, incarnate God, right? Entered into the world, lived a perfect life, endured all of the shame of being a human, tempted in every way that we were tempted, and yet died a death that he didn't deserve so that he could pay our account, the account that we owe. You remember the account we owe? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Is that how we operate? Daniel is innocent in the same way you and I are innocent. The shed blood of Christ Amen. covers him. Thomas Aquinas says, Faith has to do with things that are seen and hope with things that are not at hand. Do you have the faith of Daniel or Darius? You know, Daniel's was really tested. We actually get to experience Darius's. But I have a feeling Daniel has reached a point of maturity and seen the wonders of God so much that I think Darius was more fearful than Daniel in the midst of all of that. Do you have that faith? Martin Luther says, God our Father has made all things depend on faith so that whoever has faith will have everything. And whoever does not have faith will have nothing. This is why we talk about faith, trust, belief in God. Well, we continue with the story. The nemeses are neutralized. I could have said enemies. The end would have been good. But, you know, nemesis, plural. You never get to use nemeses in a sentence. Right? It's good. <laughs> and now I'm thinking of Star Trek movies. All right. The tables are turned. Following Daniel's deliverance, Daniel turns the tables. Darius turns the tables on the accusers. These guys who tricked him, well, let's see how they turn out. He grabs the guys and throws them into the fire. Or not the fire, the den. And the execution is extensive. It's not just the accusers that go in. It is their children and their wives. This is terrible. What do they have to do with this? Well, this is Persia. Okay, this isn't... <laughs> This isn't necessarily um, the justice that we find all throughout the Bible, but we do see incidences, incidences of this, even in the Old Testament for the people of God. There is a reality that temporal judgment does fall beyond the scope of your sin. That you, when you sin, not only sin against God, you also create, you create a situation where your own children or those that you're in charge of may experience the consequences of your actions. And this is truly terrible. And the termination is terrible. We see, finally, that these lions were not defective, right? Maybe these were really old lions. Maybe these lions just, you know, they were limping around. They'd gotten them, you know, they captured them because they were terrible. No, these lions are healthy and hungry. And when the bodies fall in, they jump upon them midair, crush all their bones before they hit the ground. This is, these are big, terrible lions. And they are ready to eat. So what do we know? Well, the end of the story is very similar to ours. Our vindication is going to be pronounced that moment we pass from this life to the next and Christ welcomes us home. And those that might have been against us our whole lives that don't put their faith in Christ will stand before Christ and they will have to answer for their own crimes, right? And here's the thing we know. The Bible tells us that we were by nature children of wrath 
that we belong not to God, but we belong to the powers of this age, that we belong in some sense to Satan because we have sinned and we belong to the chief of the liars, Satan, and that we walk in that wrath that belongs to him. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25 that hell was created for Satan and his angels. It was created as a place to punish them. But when the judgment comes down on Satan and his angels, if you aren't found in Christ, but you're found in the domain of the devil, you will experience the same torment that was created for the devil. And the torment that was extended, these accusers and their families, they endured that persecution and that death because of those in authority over them. That is going to be the fate of those that die without Christ. Is this just? Well, maybe, maybe if they didn't sin, it wouldn't be just. But we know, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that we all, in some sense, sin in Adam. And that sin is somehow passed down to us, that as Adam fell, so fell we. And that that sin is so pernicious that as soon as we're old enough and able to sin on our own, we willingly do so. And so there's not a soul in this world who comes born of Adam that doesn't have sin in some sense. And God does not cover that sin for someone that is not covered by Christ. But he did create an alternative. We know, 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered once for sins. How many times? Once. The just one for the unjust ones, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Do you believe in him? If not, your fate is the fate of the devil. There's only one way to be free of his charge. That's to put yourself under Christ. Amen. In Dante's Inferno, I don't know if you've ever read that. It's a pretty, pretty dark book. I've got it on audio, and I, I, when I go to Phoenix back and forth, I'll listen to it, and um, then I get to Phoenix just really in a mess. Uh, <laughs> Dante goes on a journey through hell. All right, he actually it continues further than hell, but he goes on a journey through hell, and as he is entering hell... There is a gate, and above the gate of hell, what does it say? Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. Oh, my goodness. I know why people don't want to preach hell. Hell is the worst thing anyone can imagine. Can you imagine? Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. That a thousand years of torment in hell will only anticipate a thousand more. There's no let up. It doesn't stop. It's forever, separated, no hope. I mean, it, it, is, it is so troubling. I don't understand it. It makes me worry. It makes me question God. But the offense of trampling the blood of Christ is great. There is no more hope. Today, if you're here, choose the hope that's available. Amen. Realize the hope that Darius realized. It doesn't end here, though. Our story does not end with the death of the enemies. The nemesis, it ends with the glory of God. God is glorified. Darius' decree, very similar to Nebuchadnezzar's letter, right? He cries to the world in letter. Peace to all peoples everywhere. God is great. He's eternal. He lasts. He doesn't die. His dominion lasts. It never ends. He gives deliverance. And, of course, we know that because he delivered Daniel. I think everybody that gets this letter has an idea of Daniel. It's pretty, pretty remarkable. Well, what do we see? We have the gospel. 
We have another gospel. Daniel now has given us two letters by two pagan kings who did not know God, who just shared the gospel with the empire. And we know that peace to all peoples is possible, right? I bring you good tidings to all people, good news of great joy. The angels declared it. Why? Because unto you is born this day a Savior. There is peace to all peoples because of the work of eternal God. It's not because of the work of Daniel. It's not because of the work of you or I. If Daniel had been on his own, he would be lion food. God did the work. He has a kingdom. Are you part of it? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. They persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this God saves. He saved Daniel and he can save you. Right. This is, this is from a pagan emperor. I believe this is Cyrus. I think Darius and Cyrus are the same. Not everyone holds to that, but I do. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You know who said that? Peter. You know when? Pentecost. There is no other name. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The life of Christianity consists of possessive pronouns. This is from Martin Luther again. It is one thing to say Christ is a Savior. It's quite another to say He is my Savior and my Lord. The devil can say the first. The true Christian alone can say the second. Is He your Savior? Have you put your faith in Christ? The story ends with our loyal prophet lionized. He wasn't, he wasn't devoured. He was lionized. The Septuagint translation of this indicates that it was really just the two other administrators who were eaten, rather than all of the satraps. That'd be a lot of lion food. But the two administrators uh, were, were eaten by the lions. Uh, the ruse that they used to try to trap Daniel turned on them. And what's really terrible is they were afraid that Daniel is one of the three in charge, that Daniel would be made number one in charge, and they would be under him. Now, Daniel is number one in charge, not because he was elevated, but because they were eliminated. Their plan, talk about a backfire, irony. Uh, <laughs> he likely served as number two in the empire for the remainder of his years. And I, I believe it's just one year from what we learned from other passages. But Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius. It ends in verse 28. It says, Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The word and there could be translated as even, which would say Darius, the reign of Darius, even the reign of Cyrus which would say that these are the same two individuals, but the more literal translation is, is just saying and and leaving it up to us. Uh, if Darius is not Cyrus, then Darius is probably number two in control, which would make Daniel three. I, I mean, Daniel's still doing pretty well. But if Darius is Cyrus, it would also explain what we know of Cyrus, who's the one who will say, send them home, and I give them a letter that says, I recognize Yahweh to be the God of all gods, and I commissioned his people to go home and to build a temple to their God at my expense. That's the close of the Old Testament. That's this guy. Daniel, instead of becoming prey, is lionized. Let's go back to the imagery here. The devil's a lion, right? Why? Because the devil's a counterfeit. Revelations 5.5 5 says that Jesus is the Lion of Judah. Genesis 49. The word lion can evoke fear, right? This is why C.S. Lewis picked a lion 
both to evoke fear, and if you remember that one of the sayings of Aslan is that he's not a tame lion. In fact, the, the crooked will twist that in the end of the story, but he's not a tame lion. You don't mess around with Aslan, right? Well, C.S. Lewis is taking the same image that the Bible gives to Jesus. Jesus is a lion and a lamb. Jesus is the lion of Judah, the one that holds the scepter, right? Because the word lion, according to the dictionary, says, is regarded as the king of beasts. Perhaps rightly so, the lion is brave, stately, and quite often ferocious. The sense of lion forms the basis of the word lionize, which first came into the English language in the 19th century. Because the lion is so stately and so terrifying, he's a great picture of what a king looks like. And Daniel is lionized. He is elevated. He is favored. Because unlike the counterfeit, the devil who wants to be a lion, all he's got is the terror. He's got none of the goodness. God is a true lion, and he elevates those that belong to him. Because we'll be, we'll be crowned, right? Who do you crown? A prince or a princess? We're brought into the kingly family, right? It is, it's incredible. Daniel's faithfulness proved to be a testimony to the world. He converted two great emperors, and we know that God's dealings with his people is consistent. So because of what Daniel did, if we emulate Daniel, who of course is emulating the unyet-seen Jesus Christ, we will have a trust in God that is a testimony. Our faith in the midst of hardship, and by the way, we just went through a pretty hard year. Were you faithful? Were you able to have solid ground to stand upon? Did you have friends that asked, well, how come you're not living in fear and terror? doesn't mean you're foolish. doesn't mean that you're foolhardy. I'm just saying, in the midst of this, the mindset of the believer should have been different than the non-believer. And if it wasn't, there's something wrong. But we do know this, that Jesus, if you had died of COVID, would have taken you home if you belonged to Christ. We have no worry about Maria Thomas. We have no worry about Gary, my dad, <laughs> Pastor Gary. Our faithfulness to and reliance on Jesus Christ will result ultimately in what we call glorification. We will be made famous under the name and banner of Jesus. The prosper will prosper in eternity in the presence of God. That was the big blessing of this. Daniel got to hang out with Jesus all night. I don't think he was afraid the day he died. <laughs> He hung out with Jesus all night long. And you know what? If you extend it, Darius might have hung out with the same Jesus all night long. We will be in the presence of God. And if that drives you, don't let that hope burn out. It will be realized. And that is your witness. And so if you know Jesus today, testify with your faith in God. Live the life that brings people to Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, I think I've given you enough today to give your life to Christ. And so as we close with a song, if the band will come this direction, I would invite you to put your faith in Christ today. If you have not given your life to Christ, do it. He says he stands at the door and knocks. And whoever opens up, I will enter into you, your heart. You, I will enter into you. And I'll dine with you. We'll be friends. You eat with people that you love. Will you invite Christ in today? He has done the work. He is just asking you to receive it.